Advances in technology, computer science, and engineering robotics are just some of the ways technology is advancing the field of prosthetics for people with limb loss or limb difference. We are excited to talk to Rob Schumann, CP Certified Prosthetist. He's the founder and executive director of the LimbKind Foundation. Founded with the goal of improving the lives of children with limb loss, both domestic and international, by strengthening the amputee community and providing pediatric prosthetic care to all. Rob's extensive knowledge, selflessness, compassion, and goodwill has led him to a career in which he is truly lucky to be able to have turned his passion into his life's work. All right, here we are. Welcome. Episode 14. We are here with a special guest, Rob Schulman of LimkKind. Welcome. Thank you guys so much. This is fantastic. I'm so excited to be here talking with you guys tonight. We are yeah. definitely excited to have you here. Yeah. I wanted to just start with um, just a, a question about your background. Um, how did you first get involved with prosthetics? Uh, how did this really lead you to, to your life mission here? Yeah, so, you know, a bunch of years ago when I was back in college, trying to give my age too, too quickly, um, <laughs> I was... The typical student in college had no clue what they wanted to do. I was taking every class that was basically after 12 o'clock noon. Yeah. And I had no clue what I wanted to do. And it took me six and a half years to graduate college, still wow. not knowing okay. what I wanted to do. And I did realize two things. One it was that I wanted to help people. And two was that I like to work with my hands. But I could never figure out what career actually did those two things together. So it was always... I'd find a career and it would be one or the other and it just never meshed. Right. And I graduated with a sociology degree, which really led me to nowhere. And <laughs> I remember reading this article in a newspaper up in Buffalo when I was out in college there. And it was from a prosthetist who was helping this young child, you know, giving a prosthesis. And I was like, wait a sec, I can help people and I can build something really cool. Right. Yeah. So I called the guy up. This is pre-internet. Once again, giving away the age. <laughs> And I talked to the guy and he said, sure, come on into the office and I'll teach, show you around the lab. And we were walking around and I just thought, oh, this is amazing. I could like play Tinker Toy and Erector Sets <laughs> and help people at the same time. So um, after that, I became a technician and I just thought this was the greatest thing in the world and went away to school for what, what I do now. And to answer the second part of your question, when I realized it was my life's work, was really early on. It was maybe a month in. I was with my wow. first patient, uh, first, second patient. And the woman sat there with her husband. And the gentleman who had just lost his leg, um, we made, they were both very scared and very nervous, didn't know what to expect. Right. And I made him a prosthesis. And I was still really green. I was hoping the thing really just worked yeah. at that point, yeah. really. But we stood him up. And he walked the whole length of the parallel bars and wow. back. And wow. the tears in the room, including my own. And I was yeah. more happy joy that it actually worked. But I was so unbelievably moved by how much the the man knew his life was going to go on. Right. And his wife was crying and everyone was crying. And um, everyone realized that, you know, there was a huge difference that was just made. And literally, and I could still to this day remember that that moment. That was when I said, this is not just something, you know, I'm going to do as a job. This was something different. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I love that. I yeah. love that too. So, so how does the process begin? Um, can you walk us through how you begin the construction of a prosthetic? Sure. Well, you know, it's amazing. When you first meet the person with limb loss, there's a lot that you have to become a little bit of a detective slash social worker about. Right. Because uh, I use a lot of analogies, but if you were to build a, a custom-made car, you know, like there was, remember that Pimp My Ride was that TV yes. show that oh, they yeah. always... And it was always, you know, they would try to build it specifically for that person. Right. Well, we build the prosthesis for that person. So there isn't just like style A, B, and C. Okay. So when you have this prosthesis and you and the patient's there and you're trying to figure out how could I make it so that it would be perfect for this person, you have to learn about them. So you're constantly, there's a lot of clinical questions we ask, but really I just try to talk a lot. Right. And we try to learn what do they do in their life, what are the sports, the activities, how many kids, grandkids they have, and all the different things that would make them different than the next person. So then we come up with a plan of what, uh, uh, you know, of what type of prosthesis we wouldn't want to make. And then we go forth and go ahead and make it. So, so then we start, and the actual technical beginning starts with a, uh, a mold of the residual limb or um, that you take with a cast. Right. Okay. And we take a lot of measurements, and it's a, 
um, a positive and negative mold system. It sounds a little, uh, yeah. you know, uh, up there, but really, if you think of a statue, a statue is a positive mold. It's actually there. Right. Right. But if you were to cast something and then crack it open and look at the inside, kind of like the the inside reflection of what it is, that's the negative cast of it. Oh, this is so interesting. So you I go never back heard. and forth making negative yeah. to positive casts. Um, oh, kind of like a, a photograph in the old school ways when we had, uh, <laughs> you know, pictures in that respect with film. But so you take this cast of the residual limb because it's a one size, you know, for that person. Then from there, we attach all kinds of high tech um, parts that we order specifically for the patient, the foot, the knee and all the other parts that right. are manufactured. And what is the normal lifespan of a prosthesis? And does it change regarding someone's age? I would think as children, they're growing and they're changing and sometimes faster than other times in their life. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We use such strong materials. So usually the prosthesis will outlive the need for the the prosthesis. Okay. What what I mean by that is with a child, absolutely. It's no different than a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes. You know, I have two children. I know you guys have children and we we spend a lot of money on clothes and shoes, right? Because they're constantly outgrowing them. It's really no different than a prosthesis in that matter. So every six months to 12 months, there's always things you need to remake or extend or change the different parts for a child. When it comes to an adult, there's still plenty of changing going on. I mean, we all... You know, yeah. I, I can definitely say that I'm not the same waist right. that I was for the past 40 years. I was going to say, every, right. Right. we Most all can change. Most the same waist they were when the pandemic started. Exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. So, you know, right. there's all different things that our body changes size and shape. So we have to constantly redo things and remake and change the parts to kind of acclimate to whatever the situation is. So usually the, the person needs a change before the prosthesis out. You know, right, last. right. I, but they could last years if it was just a matter of a time frame. I was actually reading about the use of 3D printing yeah. um, in fabricating prosthetics. And it, it's allowing both children and adults, you know, to, to be able to really use all this lightweight material in order to create these kind of revolutionary uh, prosthetics. I'm, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on 3D printing in prosthetics? Is it really benefiting your community of patients? You know, it's very interesting. 3D printing has been a fun thing. I I bought a 3D printer with my child when it first, one of my children when it first came out. And, you know, of course, anyone who's done any 3D printing, you spend six hours to wait that you made this little, uh, you know, (laughs) keychain or something. But um, in theory, it's an amazing technology. I love the beginning of it where we start on a computer. Like I, I've taught even here in the Oceanside School District, they brought me into a lot of the uh, Project Extra, which is a, um, a school for children who are a little more advanced and need a little yeah. more uh, things to keep them going, um, where we worked on 3D printing projects. And the first thing we do is we would get into Tinkercad, which is a um, the CAD is a computer-aided design. So it's kind of where you right. sit there and you design these parts by the millimeter and you, you can draw map out in a three-dimensional thing on the computer what it is that you want to come out in real life, which is really a neat technology when you think about it. We're really back in the Jetsons era here, what we're doing. Um, And I love that. And it was it's amazing to be able to think of something and you're putting it in place to be created. Now, the 3D printers, once again, with the uh, similes, it's almost like um, I kind of feel like we're still in the time frame of a dial-up modem you remember right. when you did the yeah. and make all those funny <laughs> I sounds used to talk and, to Max. yeah so you know i like i said you know we would i would put in these things for with my son with the printer we would make it go overnight and then wake up in the morning because sure. it would be eight and a half nine right. hours for these little for the keychains key you know <laughs> and half the time we'd wake up and the keychain went crazy and there was like a whole mountain of plastic and you know <laughs> but it would take it takes so long so I know there's lots of different things going on now to improve 3D printing, um, and it is somewhat in our field. There's some areas where we're using it for prosthetic covers, okay. which is more of an aesthetic design. Some sure. because we use a lot right. of internal uh, parts um, with a prosthesis. We call it endoskeletal, which means the skeleton's on the inside, like us. Right. Our skeleton's in the middle of our body, and we're protected by the mush. Right. Uh, we're more muscle or whatnot. The muscle. The, body, <laughs> the muscle. muscle right, yes. Yeah. But um, like an exoskeleton will be right. like a turtle. You know, right. someone who has the shell on the outside. 
So prostheses are endoskeletal. And a lot of times, even though people have this type of prosthesis, they still kind of want it covered once in a while. Like when they wear a suit and they don't want the right. pant leg to pull back and look like a pipe in there. Right. Or just sometimes it's just not in the mood for staring. Or sometimes it's just because it looks cool, these covers. So they're, they're utilized sometimes to make these prosthetic covers, which are made out of plastic. Okay. Um, so I think that we're still in the very early ages of 3D printing as far as prostheses goes. Um, but I look forward to seeing what's coming out next. The time I'm looking forward to the time frame shortening. <laughs> sure. And more materials because there's still only a, sh a small amount of um, plastics that you can use right now. So something that have like that, you know, because it's a like a string. Right. It's a built up of string or droplets. So sometimes the texture is not so smooth. Mm -hmm. So there's a few things that will improve as we go on. But like I said, we went from the dial-up modem to having a cell phone that's, that's better right. than my first computer, right? That's right. Well, yeah. there's always there's been links that, you know, with, with cost and 3D printing. So I wonder if I know I could only imagine the cost in itself is, you know, outrageous at yeah. times. So with 3D printing, hopefully that might also be something that would bring that down and yeah as long as the, they're able to include some of the materials that we right. use like we right. use um carbon fibers and titanium some of these materials that have very very high levels of strength yet very low in the weight so it's right. high strength low weight yeah um and to be able to match that is difficult with plastic because there's just so much strength it has yes. um so i know they're always i, I don't really i have i've only tinkered with a little bit of the 3d printing but I do know that they're coming up with some new technologies of the materials and material and the speed. Once they kind of match those two things up, will be incredible. It'll be almost like, uh, you know, design something you want. And it'll pop out like yeah. a microwave. Right. That'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Especially in something where it's so customizable to be able to do one at a time to fabricate one at a time. Yeah. With the right materials. And like you said, it, it can't be. You know, eight hours later for your keychain. Exactly. You know, that that would that would take like a month to fabricate. So, yeah, yeah it doesn't so, doesn't really replace what what you're doing. I think. I remember the very methods. first trade show that I went to where they brought in prosthetic uh, designs uh, with the 3D printing, and the person that had the booth set up the 3D printer like the night before, <laughs> and they had it running during the day. And I remember walking through the trade show, like in every two hours, I'd come back and I said, is it done yet? Right. And he says, ah, come back in another few hours. And the thing was done at the end of the day by the time the, oh. the show was over. You know? But he says, I'm not selling you on time right now. It's just in the principle that we're going right. to be getting better as time goes on. Right. We use it today for uh, even things like Internet of Thing prototypes. When we yeah. want to you know, mount a sensor on mm -hmm. an electric pole, it's great to use a 3D printer. We could yes. put the kind of all the circuit boards inside and create the shell and then go to a manufacturer and say, make, this you know, is what give I me need, a thousand right? or a million of these. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, when you're talking about titanium and, you know, these very lightweight, strong materials and the, the amount of customization, I, I totally get it that we're not there yeah. yet, but yeah. I think we'll get there. I, what, what I do like in another, another um, instance where 3D uh, technology has come into play is with the upper extremity um, prosthetic devices. Now, in reality, you know, you sometimes you see watching YouTube and um, kids of all different ages have figured out these ways because there are plans. You could buy the plans on mm. these other websites to, right. you know, the CAD designs, and they'll show you how to make a prosthetic hand or an arm um, out of the different plastics for 3D uh, printed. And although they're not extremely functional, they have some very basic functionality where mm. you can, you know, pick up some basic things. For a, for a kid, would they really hold up underneath, uh, you know, playing baseball and, and wrestling with their friends? Not really. Right. But what it does is it intrigues the child to get involved with what they're doing with, with uh, you know, with prosthetic technology, which is a very high technologically field, and really get them thinking, hmm, what can I do to make the, the field better? So I think it's a wonderful tool just even just to bring light into the community about yeah. the MBT world and, and the prosthetic world. And something that's usually kind of kept to the to the sidelines. Right. So speaking of technology, I'm actually a big fan of anything bionic. Okay. Um, I think it's because I grew up watching Steve Austin in the Six Million Dollar <laughs> right. Man. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if you're as old as me. Uh, I know Eric has no idea what I'm talking no. about right now. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, I do. I do. 
Steve Austin had this superhuman strength, yes, right? Yeah, I remember. He, because all his limbs were bionic. He was a six million dollar man. He was six, which back in the seventies was like a hundred million dollars. Six million is like hundred million yeah. now, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the whole concept was he had these bionic limbs utilizing electricity and robotics uh, to create movement. And it seems closer to reality these days, I feel like, than science fiction. Have, have you come across any new bionic technologies being used with prosthetics? Absolutely. You would, you would love, uh, especially if you like that kind of stuff. Um, there are definitely things that are computerized and utilizing more than mechanical parts now in the prosthetic industry. When it comes to lower limb, our legs, that are ways down, um, we utilize something now very commonly called a microprocessor knee. Micro mm. meaning small, right. processor meaning a computer, knee unit. Now think of it this way, I'm gonna put it in really easy layman for you, or the, I guess that's the theory here, right? Yes, in the yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the portion that 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 makes it so interesting by utilizing a computer for a knee is think of the mechanical knee like a little bit more of the old school as a bicycle that has one speed okay let's call it like something in middle gear so you could ride it you know in that gear and to go faster you just have to push harder right, right. Or to, to go slower you just don't put as much energy in well these microprocessor knee units what they're doing is they are reading what you're doing multiple times, like over 50 times per second. Wow. So it knows if you want to walk faster or slower. It knows if you're going up or downhill. Okay. It knows if you're going down steps, up steps, and it knows in, in tune to if you're going to fall. It knows if you're going to, it could catch you if you're going to fall. So what happens is it's constantly changing gears, like really fast, 50 right. something times a second, right? So in that respect, it makes it much less uh, tiresome and fatigious for the wearer to just walk because they just wow, put the same yeah. amount of energy in. The knee's doing all the work. Right. So it's a really amazing technology using these computerized knees. And then for the upper extremities, you know, above the waist in our arms and hands, there's a lot of really neat devices now that right. you'll see a lot on YouTube, especially you'll see these. Um, the technology has been around for a handful of years. It's called Myoelectric. And if you, uh, once again, I'll put it in a good, good landing yeah. here. If you think about, remember like on ER or any ambulance show when someone's dying and they say, get the crash pad and they, they right, get the yeah. shock, right? Well, why are they shocking them? You ever think like, what are they doing? Well, our bodies actually have an electrical impulse. And when you're dying, you need to be re-shocked, right? right? So they give you that shock to kind of almost like a car, like a jump start. Right. Well, being that our bodies have these electrical impulses, every time we make a muscle movement, the electrical impulses are firing, okay? So let's just say, if, uh, for the podcast people here that can't see, yeah. <laughs> um, if the amputation is around the wrist area and they don't have a hand, and to open and close the hand, you would teach them to use the two different muscle areas on the, like the belly portion here of the forearm, and then the muscles on the opposite side, okay, the top okay. of the arm. Now, the one with the belly side of the arm is kind of, uh, think of it like the side of like your palm would control the closing of the hand and the the muscles over here on the top of the arm would control the opening of the hand so you tell them you say well pretend like you're just doing this motion and if all you guys that are sitting out there feel your <laughs> forearms and the opposite side when you take your wrist and you turn it not towards your palm but the out other way you'll feel those right. muscles on the outside you feel them fire well, you may feel them fire with your hand, but there's actually electrical impulses reading it, and the prosthesis will read those electrical impulses. So it takes those electrical impulses and it turns them into motions wow. with the prosthetic hand. And it learns, we have new ones now that are learning what we call pattern recognition, and you can teach it different types of patterns to do different types of things with the hand. That's which amazing. Is really, yeah, so that, that type of stuff is really getting into some neat technology, which is really, um, not only is it, amazing and interesting but it's something that we're seeing and we're using on people now wow yeah but, you know there's a lot of technology that sometimes we see that's out there that they might have tried on a trial right. but, but to see that being used might take another 10 15 20 years right but this is actually being done i recently learned that researchers at mit media labs have now developed alternative approaches that they believe could offer more precise control of prosthetic limbs like you were just describing they actually insert small mag magnetic. I'm sorry. I don't know. You, you, <laughs> Are you tapping me? I didn't mean to. 
They insert <laughs> small catching a feel. <laughs> this is what I have to deal with. They, they insert See? small magnetic uh, beads in into muscle tissue, and they look for the muscle contracting, and then based on that, relay that information in milliseconds to a bionic prosthesis. So to me, that's like I mean that's 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 a little. That's a little futuristic, but it's it's amazing that yeah. they can apply that. And like you said, it's learning. It's almost like an AI-based yeah. mm-hmm. uh, computer system that's actually learning. We think they're going to close their hand or we think they're right. going to move the hand, you know, completely outward when they start yeah. a particular motion, which is... which like is contracture recognition, similar to the pattern recognition right. that goes on before. Where, so it starts to recognize how your muscles contract in, in relating to the movements that they're trying to desire. I see that similarly in my industry when uh, using IoT sensors on high precision equipment, like manufacturers that build jet engines, for example, would use those micro magnetic sensors to be able to make slight adjustments to get that level of precision. Uh, Of course, it's even if it's minimally evasive to insert magnetic beads. Uh, yeah, it sounds a little scary to me, right? I'm, I'm assuming it's going to take a little bit longer than how we apply it in manufacturing. Yeah. You, you know, I, it's really interesting. I, I read a lot of my the journals within my industry and some of the things that are being done, like at MIT and other uh, institutions that are doing really high-level surgical implications and mm-hmm. uh, nerve, different things where they try to implant into the nerves and the muscles to try to read the patterns in the brain and whatnot. Um, they're truly amazing. I the one thing that I I get I have a li- I get a little frustrated when I read some of the technology. And this is I guess the real life portion of things. You're you're living it. They're writing about it. So, yeah, yeah. I, it, but we'll hear that. But in, in as well as so they they're coming up with amazing technologies that sound amazing, but insurance and other things mm-hmm. are paying for less and less. Right. So I I wonder at what point are things going to match up in right. the sense of what will be reimbursed. And what will be actually, what will I be able to use because it, they're approving it Sure. And versus, you know, something, and if they came up with the best thing since sliced bread, something that, you know, grew right. the handbag or whatever it is, but it costs like a billion dollars right. and we'll never be able to use it. Well, like, is it attainable right. for yeah, so, your clients that right. come to you? Yeah. So I would love to see something along the lines of one of those types of surgeries that is actually something tangible to the masses of people with limb loss that they would actually be able to use most of these technologies. It sounds similar to the deep brain stimulation that's being used for Parkinson's disease. My uh, father, who lives with Parkinson's disease, had this procedure done and it truly changed his life. Wow. And it's similar to what you're saying in that electrodes were implanted into certain areas of his brain and then they are used to send impulses. And what's more interesting is that the amount of, of stimulation is controlled by like a pacemaker-like device that's implanted in his chest. That's that really amazing. Two separate battery packs. Wow. So there's wires that are thread under the skin that connects the two devices. And the difference with this procedure has changed everything. Yeah. So I could see that I could see it being used in other areas and other fields. It's really awesome. And it's great. You know, it's it is really, you know, when you when you do see some of these technologies, even on the lower end, not lower end, but the the obtainable technologies right. that we're doing versus some of the mega surgery type implication things and the life changing, uh, you know, events that have occurred from it, it is mind blowing. Right. You know, whether it be one or a hundred or a thousand and one, right. it's, it's great for those people. It is. But it's similar even to what you're describing using the muscle and how it could be such a life altering, empowering thing for yeah. someone to experience. Absolutely. Yeah. This this one technology, if you're out there and you want to really read into something interesting, and this this one still, uh, you know, it probably sometimes makes people squeamish, but there's something called osseo integration. And what they're doing is for people who um, don't want to wear some of the traditional type prostheses where there's a socket, we call it. And that's right. the, uh, what the residual limb fits into, right. or sometimes they have issues wearing them and, you know, whatnot. Um, there's something called osseointegration. What they're doing is they're implanting, surgically implanting a titanium rod down the long, like wow. the long way of the, of the bone where the amputation uh, in the residual limb. And then what happens is in that titanium rod, 
there's another attachment part where something sticks through the skin at the end. And that titanium rod mm. attaches to the prosthetic componentry. Oh, so wow. you're actually having these implanted um, mechanics come through the skin and attach to mechanical devices that we provide. Oh, wow. um, so it's, a, you know, they're doing a lot overseas and it's been coming over for the past 10, 20 years more into the States more and more. Um, they're still trying to figure out how to, they can't seal this, the, yeah. the area. It's still right. is technically a wound. It just seems so interesting. I wonder what is the benefit to have it implanted into the bone? Yeah, the benefit, um, the these sockets that we make are kind of like, think about those genes we're talking about that we constantly have to change because oh, we okay. get bigger and smaller. And, um, right. you know, having this shell of, you know, they're wonderful technological made materials, right? But it's still all these hard materials and yeah. things that are, pushing into areas that you don't necessarily love them being there. So your lay, your limb is just in the air. It's free. Mm -hmm. And it just has this thing attached to it at the bottom so that you don't have to wear that socket. So it's kind right. of like wearing a prosthesis without the socket. You just have it attached to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Yeah. That's something you'll see more and more of in the future uh, medically in that respect. I was actually reading that individuals with disabilities make up almost 20% of the world's population which is, you know, is a big number when you, yeah, when you think about huge. 20%. Yeah. Uh, as a society, I'm wondering, are we still struggling to end stigma over disability? Absolutely. Um, yes, and but we're getting better. It, it's definitely, I mean, it's a huge issue. It's something that um, every group always has to fight for inclusion, mm -hmm. fight for, you know, certain rights that we're still, I mean, here we are in the 2020s. And we're still fighting for rights for certain right. groups. But, um, you know, when it comes to disabilities, there's a lot of different things that they that people are trying to fight that stigma like you're talking about. You know, when we're around, or the, the, I do a lot of volunteering with different organizations besides my own, uh, one being Camp No Limits, and it's which is a camp for children with limb loss. Wow. And we discuss greatly with them, you know, how to... You know, what do you do when people come up to you and stare and ask you silly questions like, did you get bit by a shark or, you know, <laughs> yeah. different things that kids may ask other children and they see uh, they see the residual yeah. limb or a prosthesis. Um, and really, you know, part of what we do, even with my nonprofit organization, LimbKind, is, is to try to enlighten the community, try to show they're just kids, they're just people, they're just there's sure. just a little difference, right. but they could do anything and honestly, sometimes better than you can. Right. You know, exactly. that's, that's what I found with a lot of the things that with the community stuff that I do, um, that people have realized, say, wow, you know, not only can they do X and Y and Z, right. but they're doing it better than me. Yeah. You know, and then they get, sure. so, okay, it isn't such a big deal. You know, right. you know, so I think the more we, that we stay away from hiding the disabilities and just kind of. People go out there with the prosthesis. They do what they want. I mean, look, we just passed the Paralympics. Uh -huh. And this year, the Paralympics were covered by NBC fully, which wow. was huge. I mean, before it was just the regular Olympics were covered by them. And every once in a blue moon, you catch a snippet on the news of the yeah, internet. Yeah, that's right. Something. I remember that. Yeah, we yeah. Had, we did a whole episode on the Olympics, and we talked about that, that it's, yeah. it's, it's great that it's we're amazing. actually seeing these super athletes yeah. performing, you know, did, you know, during prime time. Yeah. And it's just fantastic. I mean, I was just uh, texting today with a friend of mine, someone who volunteers uh, with the organization, Rudy. He he swam in the Paralympics. Oh, wow. wow. And he did real well. Um, and, you know, so it was, it's amazing. Some of these guys, what the trials and tribulations that they do go through. Right. And, and, but they're amazing athletes. They really, they really just sure. uh, give some amazing effort. I feel like we need to teach that disabled just means able differently. And that's Absolutely. really yeah. how. Yeah. I was looking into that. There are so many celebrities that do have limb loss or limb difference. And probably the most or better known one is Rick Allen, drummer of Death of Death. Oh, Lover. yeah. Yeah. I love Death. I used to love Death. <laughs> he lost his arm in an accident yeah. and then went on to be one of the most successful drummers of all time. Yep. And Jim Abbott was born without a right hand and is known right. as the amazing one handed pitcher. He played 10 seasons in the major league. Yeah. Even played for the yeah. New York Yankees. So I feel like. Go Yankees. That's it. <laughs> I think that more, I, I think it's like you said, the more we see, the more we feel comfortable. There's no reason to think differently about anyone. I think yeah. growing up, it was always, you know, like Lieutenant Dan in Forrest right. Gump. Exactly. Would be like right. the one person that someone would maybe think about. 
And I always think it's interesting that these are actors portraying someone with limb loss. It's like, I think it's time to have actors and actresses that are actually living this life. Yeah. You know, that is I so mean, true. What, why yeah. is it taking so long? And there are, there are currently actors and actresses that are doing phenomenal, that yeah. are just being who they are. So, yeah, there's there's a few. Um, like I said, I know I have a lot of friends in the limb loss community and um, from whether it be through camp or through, uh, you know, the Kingdom of Limits that I yeah. do with or through one kind. Um, the few of them are actors uh, for career and they're, in, you know, they're in they're always fighting for inclusion and they're getting some big parts, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, there's a camper actually who's going to be in our uh, show your shine uh, event in three weeks now. Mm -hmm. Um, who's actually in a new NBC TV show coming up. Um, it's called La Brea, which oh, is yeah. like their, their big hit show. Right, that they're yes. I've been watching all the previews. Well, before, she's yeah. one, actually, she's one of the big, like six people in it. And in the commercial, she's like, this one, I don't know, I keep on seeing this one part where. Yeah, that she's on the ground. She's on the edge. Is that her? That's her, yes. yeah. So she'll wow. be in our uh, show. That's she's amazing. Our, she, she's awesome. But yeah. um. Yeah, it's definitely you'll see more and more people uh, that are actually have limb difference, limb loss, and not just being portrayed by the rock. Or, right. You know, the other exactly. people who have been in. Uh, As it should be. Love that. You are the founder and senior director of the nonprofit foundation Limbkind, as you have just mentioned. Domestically and internationally, you are truly making a difference. Can you share how you got started and what this is all about? Sure. Thank you. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. I, I hit a point where my children were at about high school and they were getting close to going off to college and then, you know, real life type things. And I said, boy, I better start putting more on my plate because I'm going to have an empty yeah. nest soon, you know. And I decided to do a little volunteering. And I did the, that's where I first started volunteering with that Camp No Limits, as well as um, doing some volunteering overseas. So the, the volunteer with the camp was an amazing experience. I thought I was going to do one camp and now here I am like eight, 10 years later, whatever wow. it is. And I've been, you know, traveling to a lot of the different camps around the country. Um, and then, you know, like I was saying internationally, I was invited to, um, I was first asked to make prostheses for a child uh, from Africa. He, they were going to bring him here. Okay. And he was missing three of his limbs. And, I, and we made him the prostheses, amazing experience. And they said, if we um, send you to Haiti, would you make prostheses for some of the children who have lost limbs in the earthquake? This is right after 2010 okay. right. Um, from the earthquake there, which was devastating and left hundreds of thousands of uh, people missing limbs. And I was like, of course, I mean, that, that'd be a fantastic, uh, you know, what a way to give back. So I went for my first trip to Haiti and honestly, one of the most life-changing experiences that I've ever had. It was mind, uh, you know, mind blowing what people go through and the types of living conditions and, and especially what was going on after the earthquake. Right. And I made uh, like eight to 10 prostheses for these kids. And I, but it wasn't even just the prostheses. I mean, the, these people, these kids were hungry, yeah. you know, hadn't eaten in three days, but I realized what is needed around right. the world. And look, I'm a prosthetist. That's kind of my, that's what I do. Right. And I said, well, I can give back in this community. That's that's my thing, right? We can all kind of find our way that we can do good things for people. And I decided, A, I was going to go back every year. And so I, I was been going to Haiti ever since, wow. except for when they've had some political unrest and right. all kinds of, yeah. now they've had another earthquake. Um, but then, you know, between that and the camp, I was always doing things with other organizations. And I was always kind of uh, running around doing this and that. And I, I decided that, I can start my own nonprofit and really concentrate 100% on what I wanted to do. And that was work by improving the lives of children with limb loss, both domestic, I was reading my mission, I guess, right. uh, both domestic and international, with, you know, here and uh, abroad, um, strengthening the amputee community, providing pediatric prostheses to all. So we decided that we were going to go to one country more every year and return to the country, the location that we went to providing as many prostheses as we could to children and giving them a con the continual care that they deserve. So of course, I don't know, my one, my one location a year <laughs> equation didn't work out very right. well. Yeah, there's so much need. It ended up like one and a half to two locations. Wow. A year. So, you know, we were going to Haiti, obviously we brought a team there, the Philippines, we were in Davao, Philippines, um, Ethiopia. Uh, we, then we were slated to go to Kenya and that was in June. So we couldn't go there. We had two other locations on tap that were, you know, it takes right. a long time to build up these relationships. 
uh, to be able to vet the location and everything like that. So, you know, it, it's been an interesting road as far as the travel aspect, because, you know, with COVID, everything is just shut down and that and for sure. to do that. So we're, we were supposed to go to Haiti and be there August uh, 6th through the 14th. And first they were having a lot of political unrest. Right. There was all kinds of rioting and yeah, really right. scary stuff. So I decided that we could not go. It was not safe to bring a team and sure. our team safety is paramount. So I uh, canceled the trip. The a week later, the president was assassinated mm-hmm. there. And then I guess it was a month or whatever later, they actually had the earthquake. Um, and uh, on the 14th, we were supposed oh to be gosh. there. Right. So we were actually supposed to be there wow. during the earthquake. So, you know, that trip obviously was canceled. Thankfully that we were safe. Our team is here. Um, but so, you know, our one trip of 21 was canceled. So, but really great news is just this past week, we were given the green light by our two, by a couple of our hosting organizations that we can do, uh, Ethiopia and Kenya for 22, 2022. So I've been all week. We've already have almost all our slots filled for our teams. Um, the people who the volunteers that come and I'm also working on a third trip. If we can pull it off at the end of the year in November to one of the new locations, which was Sri Lanka, a little island off of yes. uh, India, south wow. of India. So, so when you I, work with these organizations in their home countries, how is there, they are the ones who find the children in need of. Yeah. For every location is a little different, but most of the time they do have the hosting organizations like a children's hospital and they have an overwhelming amount of children that just, you know, they're literally coming coming out of the seams there and they just don't have the ability to take care of all these children. Wow. So we come in there and in one week uh, we can make up to about 30 prostheses. We're, we're trying to build it up so we can do even more. Uh, this new location, Sri Lanka, they actually have an incredible need for our help. And when I first started speaking to them, I said, I usually the problem is, will they have enough children for me to, when we go there right. to warrant us coming? Cause we always need at least 20 to 25, you know, to make it, financially worth bringing the whole team there and when i was saying oh do you have enough kids for you? he's like oh yeah i'll have a, i could have two fifty, two hundred fifty, three hundred oh, kids goodness. i said oh, <laughs> oh that's, yeah. that's a little right. too much let's oh, start off slow but um so you know we're probably gonna do for there i'm hoping we could do 30 to 40 or something in that range you know just to make uh, a little bit more of a difference and i'm sure they when they hear that this is that your foundation is coming that there is a rush to be in line to be yeah here. I can only imagine. I mean, their yeah, you know, the, their care that's available while in their countries now is probably so limited. It is, and actually, due to social media, no matter how poor a country is, everyone's on social media. They're right. all on Facebook. I don't know, um, but you know, it's really interesting. We have a lot of people that become friends with our team, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, "When are you coming? When are you coming?" I'm like, I don't know. I can't get back in. You know, so everyone's definitely waiting for uh, you know for our crew to come back and take care of their children. And, and um, so I'm really, I'm really happy and excited that we're actually getting back to what we're doing, which, you know, so it was a long year and a half, two years. So it's, yeah. been, it's, know. it's been, I feel like it's been, it's been long. It's right? been too long it is, to not kind of be on that regular process. I can't even imagine we were talking before we got started. I used to do a lot of international travel pretty consistently for yeah. both, you know, pleasure as well as uh, predominantly for business but it was kind of like me packing for myself yeah. and whether I went to Africa or South, South America or wherever I went, it, it was still kind of like my biggest worries were, what do I eat? Is the water clean? I mean, absolutely. You're, what do you like? How difficult is it when you travel for uh limb kind yeah. to pack for, like you said, <laughs> you're going to make 20 to 30 prosthetics. There's the tooling. I'm sure there's all the other materials right. and things you have to bring with you. Like how big a project is that? It's the biggest project out of everything we do. It really is. It's almost become like some of it's almost a joke. I, I can tell you every regulation for every airline, you know, my team, when we go, let's just say there's 12 to 14 of us. I tell everyone, you get one bag out of the three. The personal bags, your own, but one bag out of the three, carry on and two underneath uh, checked bags. Right. Choose one. The other two are mine. <laughs> so I get, you know, always. Pack light. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, it, you know, it's, it's always, we've always had the funny things of, you know, they love to undo our bags at security. I've had funny instances where I remember actually more when I went by myself, um, cause I was trying to bring as much as I could from this one person with my few bags. Right. <laughs> and I would go and like the, the people, I remember one time I held it at JFK 
I held up the line for 37 minutes. And actually, it's true. I timed oh it. Oh, my goodness. Because the guy, I took all of the metal componentry. And because it's not by weight, your, your carry-on bag is not by weight. So that little bag was full of metal parts that must have been about 250 pounds. You know, just as long as it fits underneath that seat. Right, right? That's right. So I had the suitcase and the guy's like, what do you have in the suitcase? I can't see through it in the x-ray thing. So he goes, you got to empty that and make it single layer in those gray buckets. Right. I had and I'm not I'm not being facetious. I had 17 buckets. And I had to continually oh put God. them back through and through and then oh unpack and then repack it, you know, the way I had it. But, you know, it was, it was so packing is always a, a, a big adventure, you know. That's so you, so you were that guy in front of me. Yeah. I am that idiot. I, I am so <laughs> sorry. Knowing, I apologize. Knowing what you do now, I'm totally fine. <laughs> I waited those 37 minutes. It's absolutely fine. It's, oh my so, goodness, does, yeah. so does every other person waiting behind me. I might feel that way. But you should see the looks, you know, sometimes. The, like when we have a prosthetic foot or a hand is sticking out of the bag, like, people are kind of walking like, by them and they do that double take, that? like, what the heck is in that bag? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Limkind um, also has a youth group. I, yes. Uh, at giving children with limb loss peers to socialize with and support each other, which is amazing. Yes, thank you. Um, and we have to mention, as you have already, the amazing youth group event, Show Your Shine. Um, it's the Adapted Runway Show, your second annual show. It is number two. We're very excited. Yes. yes. A few weeks away. Yes. We're getting really close. So it's an amazing event to support people with limb loss and limb difference, raising awareness and cultivating acceptance and inclusivity, truly redefining the runway. Redefining the runway. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's such an interesting thing how that began. Um, to go backwards a little with the youth group, uh, one of our biggest goals was to have this pediatric center. That's the domestic portion of what LimbKind Okay. The goals of what we want to do. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But, to you know, we, we always said, well, before we have the center that will have a youth group and all the different neat things, we can have a youth group here. We don't need a center to have a youth group. Right. So for the past few years, we've always had this youth group where children with limb loss, we would have them gather at uh, we down at the beach and have them taught how to surf with Surf for All. That was a great oh, day. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, we were invited by Microsoft. You would have loved it. The tech stuff, all the new... Uh, Things they, they brought us in for the day, all the new technologies they showed us, which was a really fun that. day. Um, and lots of different, you know, youth group type activities. But the biggest one right, that we've been doing was it, it, it was the uh, the Show Your Shine event. Now, my sister, Jill Smith, who is an occupational therapist by trade, yes. uh, was to join me for her first trip to Ethiopia last year. And part of what we do for our trips is we have all the volunteer members ask them to help pay for their portion of the trip. Because these trips cost a lot of money. I mean, they, they can sure. range upward towards twenty five, thirty thousand dollars, depending on which location and the airfare and everything like that. So, you know, we ask them to chip in a certain amount. So, you know, whether it be a fundraiser or a social media kind of pushing or just pay for your trip, um, Jill coming decided that she was going to hold hold some kind of a fundraiser event, and she had this wonderful idea where they would have a runway show where all of the runway models were going to be people with limb loss and limb difference. Love it. Which started off as the idea was a great idea, but smaller in nature. Well, talk about a rolling ball down a hill. This thing just (laughs) took off like a bat out of hell. And before you know it, you know, we had, it was a big, you know, it was held in a big event. We had 300 plus people. Wow. We had NBC nightly news following us for the day. We had, you know, police escorts around town. Talk about the kids feeling like rock stars. It was an amazing day. Um, They were, you know, taken care of by the beauty parlor and polished up and everything like that. And then when we had the event, it was like we were at one of the big runway shows. And because we had donations from like the DJs doing the thing and the lighting shows, it was absolutely an amazing event, (laughs) Um, which was, it it was fantastic for the kids, the 25 or so, uh, you know, members of the runway that walked it. It was just wonderful. So yes, we have the second annual. We finally made it through the pandemic to the, to the point where we can have an outdoor event. Um, we, we really want to keep the safety of Paramount. So we're doing it with a tent, this giant tent that could hold 500 people on a, and having it by the beach where the walls roll up. It'd be a nice breeze in there and we'll keep all the safety precautions, but we can still do what we do and right. uh, redefine the runway. And Jill, Jill really knocked it out of the park once again and, uh, you know, putting on this event, which is going to happen October 9th uh, down at the Gatsby. That's uh, amazing. Jones Beach. So yes, nice. it's a fantastic. We're really looking forward to it. And I just and so much, like you said, there's so much that goes into it, and it just it's so wonderful. They, I know that they're they're 
people coming from near and far that yeah. want to participate and be part of it. And I just think it's unbelievable. Jill and I, thank you. Jill and I kind of laugh every time. Like, I can't believe it. This one's coming from Canada. This one's coming from Arizona. <laughs> this one's right. coming from, I mean, truly all over the country, different countries. And really, they're coming here for our event, you know. Wow. But it's a little pinch me moments, you know. Right. But it really, for these people who who become part of it, it's honestly life altering. It's something, you know, because like we talked about before, as far as acceptance and and things of, uh, you know, being shown that they're just as normal as anyone else. They right. want to feel beautiful just like everyone else does. Of course. And then, right. So they get to go up on a runway and have the whole three to four or five hundred people going nuts for them. Like you look beautiful and staring. And as I'm going to paraphrase Jill's words. Uh, she, you know, she wants them stared at for all the right reasons. Right. So, which is a really neat. Oh, she uh, is. You guys yeah. are like the most amazing family. You're just oh, both such you. good yeah. people. I know. I know. Uh, thank you very much. She's, I love that. Jill's yeah. a gem. She's awesome. You mentioned uh, the center before. Can you tell us a little bit about the pediatric prosthetic center? Sure. So now you guys are pretty much like the first people I've really. Oh. Kind of came out with it as far you as won't this tell aspect. Anyone. Oh no, you can tell everybody. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. Um, this has always been part of our mission, and we were been working on business plans and floor plans and capital raising of for this big center that we wanted to do, and um, which would not only be a uh, a pediatric facility for um, a prosthetic and orthotic pediatric facility for children so that they can obtain really professionalized pediatric devices. Because right. a lot of the times, you know, our, our kids, when we bring them to the doctor, we bring them to an adult doctor. No, yeah. we bring them to a pediatrician, yeah, right? Of um, most of the time nowadays, most children are brought to prosthetic facilities in general, just kind of regular type facility. Um, there's, it's not the same thing. It's not just a tiny prosthesis. There, there's a difference for making a child's prosthesis. And uh, to give them that care is what we truly want to do in the center. But we also want to have a little bring it back to a little bit of the old school clinic style where we have everyone in-house with us, physical therapist, occupational right. therapist, oh, nice. physiatrist, which is a rehab doctor. And all of the ancillary things that a child with limb loss needs, a person with special needs needs for these types of devices. So that everyone kind of works as a team to make sure that the child is getting the proper care that they need. Um, so that's, you know, it's always been a goal to build this yeah. mega place. Um, through the pandemic, we worked. You know, this is one of the, I guess you call it the, the silver lining kind of things. And we worked a lot on the center and, and and really were able to put the time in that, you know, when we're doing the trip, sometimes we don't get to put the amount of hours on the on the center. And through some where I work on a on a daily for my job for a living, um, where I was working through some unfortunate things with my my boss actually passed away. And, oh, um yeah, thank you. He, uh, but we decided that we were going to open up the facility as the limb kind center. Now, smaller in size and you know stature as the original plan, but we're so excited to be able to bring the idea to life and start it off small and and grow it with us. So, right. um, so we're actually right now we're we're oh, just opening almost as we speak. Wow! And we we're opening this past month and uh, you know painting and designing the place all pediatric like with all kinds of kids fun things and right wow. now it's real constructiony looking you know yeah. but but we're open so it's but, it's a you know it's we just had the awning put up which is you know the, with our uh, logo so on exciting. it in a little bit of a whirlwind with all the things that are yes. going on and now we're going to do trips it's like you know we waited a year and a half during the pandemic for something to happen right yeah. and now everything's snowballing in one right. you know one time <laughs> I, you know, bad problems to have, right? I think it worse. I love the idea of an interdisciplinary team. <laughs> that's that's her favorite word. That is, as a registered nurse, I just always love when all different specialties are working together for the better of the patient yeah. or the client. You know, such can I solution. can I steal that phrase interdisciplinary team? I like that. <laughs> yes. I sound it's very professional favorite. if yes, I say I, it. I'm gonna have to write that one down. And your amazing sister also is works with some of the children that come in as an occupational therapist. Well, yes. Yeah, so right? now we're saying this on a podcast. So we're, no, we're yeah. hoping that she'll now work. Uh -oh, uh -oh. <laughs> the pressure is on. Right? But yeah, you know, but you know my sister and I, we, we do a lot of work together, yeah. and especially with Limkind and everything. Uh, wow. Like I think this is amazing. I could see them opening in cities across the country. Oh, from your mouth to, uh, you know, everyone amazing. Absolutely. Yes. All right. But, well, uh, that brings us to game time. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
I'm going to play a little game with you called This or That. And there are, this is where I'm going to ask you some rapid fire, this or that, and just go with your first choice. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. Right. iPhone or an Android? Uh, definitely iPhone. City or country? Country. Call or text? Call. Window seat or aisle seat? Definitely aisle seat. Springsteen or Bon Jovi? Oh, 100% Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix or Amazon? Uh, uh, Amazon. Planet or wing it? Wing it. Day of fishing or a day of golf? Definitely fishing. DJ or a band? Band. Headphones or speakers? Speakers. Sea view or forest view? Sea view. Born to run by Bruce or R-O-C-K in the USA by Mellon Camp? Oh, definitely Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Ski or surf? I was born in, I was born in 70. All right, this time you have to... I'm done, we're, we're starting to see a pattern here. <laughs> I think you're into Bruce. A little bit. Ski or surf? Uh, ski. Be able to fly for a day or be able to be invisible for a day? Ooh, fly. Stuck in an elevator or stuck on a ski lift? Ooh, ooh. Uh, <laughs> ski lift? Book or movie? Definitely movie. Pizza or tacos? Pizza. Virgin Galactic or Blue Origin? Virgin Galactic. Read minds or see the future? Uh, see the future. Sunrise or sunset? Set. Young at heart or an old soul? Old soul. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Very right. cool. I, I was trying to think of my <laughs> pattern there. <laughs> Besides the Bruce Springsteen references, right? <laughs> this has been amazing, Rob. Thank oh, you thank so you. much. The experience was wonderful as well for me. So I really appreciate you guys giving me the time to explain Limkind and, and everything else about my industry and about me. Yeah, well, this has been so interesting and I enjoyed it so much. Learned so much. With the advances in technology, improving prosthetics and people like you and your amazing foundation, I think the potential in the future of prosthetic industry is just endless. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where things come in the future. So thank you very much. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening today. Please continue to listen and subscribe. You could always find us on. Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple Podcast, or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Techie and the Blonde or ask us any questions or suggest topics we should discuss at techieandtheblonde at gmail.com. And our new and exciting website has launched, techieandtheblonde.com. You can find tons of content and pictures, everything discussed on the episodes. Thanks again. Whoa, whoa, whoa.